0: In today's podcast, I'm really excited because we just got back from the I-500. And for those of you who don't know, it's the longest snowmobile race in the world. It's 500 miles on a one mile ice oval track. It takes place over nine hours and we're gonna cover that today.
1: So we were really excited to go through this today we had a great time we had really cool access for this race we had the ability to get down in the pitch where the racers were and we also spent some time hanging out in the crowd which was super fun so we're get into covering both of those
0: today i've been going to it for a few years because when we lived in the sioux we'd go every year off and on and you always get to see it from the perspective of the hill and if you've never gone it is definitely worth going to because The fact that it's a nine-hour race and everybody in the crowd, you have people that sit down on literally couches that they bring in themselves and watch the entire race, all the way to people that I don't even know if they look at the track because they spend their entire time in the camper area just socializing with everybody around. Yeah, socializing. Exactly. (laughs) So I kind of wanted to start off by saying that The race itself was an interesting one because it was the warmest that it's ever been in the history of the race. Yeah, when it started,
1: I saw it was 35 degrees, which was, I think, like two or three degrees warmer than any other start. So when we actually got there around 9 a.m. for the 10 a.m. start time, it was uh, sleeting, freezing rain a little bit. So you could tell it was warm. I mean, it wasn't snowing at that point. Uh, So, yeah, the uh, warm start definitely had led to the potential of the track conditions kind of changing throughout the day.
0: Uh, We kind of had a wild beginning because we got there, and then we got media passes to get onto the track while the opening ceremonies were going on. I've been to a lot of sporting events. I've been to pre-football game, pre-fights, hockey games. I've been in the back of a lot. And this was one of the more intense feelings that I've had because the potential for catastrophic failure during this is quite high and the people that are in it recognize that the pits recognize it the racers recognize it and so it's not just a hey let's get started let's go play a game of basketball there was definitely a sense of like we're in it and let's go
1: yeah and it's uh it's more of a team thing than you'd ever expect Mm -hmm. uh i think I, i know that there are teams involved in sports that seem like more of a single person thing one these guys actually take turns driving yep. uh, based on the length of the race and the rules that are in place for it. But I actually, the, the team feel overall was even bigger than I expected. I, I mean, with the pit crews and the family members and everyone that were down there at that time, it was very cool. Very cool atmosphere on the track, that's for sure. Yeah. Kind of, you, uh, you don't totally witness that from the stands. I mean, it was very weird right down there at that level at that time.
0: The speed of which, like, I'm going to start by saying most people are probably like, oh, I know how fast snowmobiles go. Mm -hmm. When you have 31 snowmobiles ripping past you at over 100 miles an hour on that ice track in those first few laps, it is incredible. It's something that's like, it was hard to describe because they're going by so fast and to know that the only thing that those guys have is their grip to hold them onto that sled going into those first few corners when that, um, that field is completely packed. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, going, you know, one of my favorite parts or one of our favorite shots we got on video was when the uh, it was the green flag to go on that first lap. So the track was in the best condition. It was going to be all day pretty yeah. much, I assume. And they go by us. We're kind of on this end of the straightaway going into that corner. And on video, they're a blur. I mean, yeah. they're going by so fast that it looks like you have it in you know, fast forward. It's very cool. Um, It was very awesome to watch from that perspective.
0: So let's talk about how devastating the race can be from a perspective of a racer who's expecting to place pretty high. Um, We immediately kind of started cheering for Pichet Racing because they're local Sioux guys and two of the people that are racing in it, we knew personally from playing sports throughout going up, there. were kind of People in town that we knew or people that we went to school with. And so we said right away, these are going to be our guys and we're going to cheer for them. And I think in the first lap, our first five laps is when they had a sled malfunction and that actually took uh, Aaron Celestino off the sled and was the first yellow of the day. Yeah, it was uh, after
1: talking to him, which Mm -hmm. we had a chance to talk to him in the pitch later in the day. uh, It sounded like their brakes, they were having some brake issues and it pretty much launched him right off the sled uh we didn't see it at that moment in person based on where it happened uh but that um, malfunction got them into the pits for quite a long time so like you said you're preparing for this race it's like then there's so much time left in this race and as as we go through this and if you watch the video which we'll put a link here in the podcast uh do you for you to watch the video is they actually Not very many snowmobiles finish. I mean, essentially half the field finish. So if you have a problem early on, you're in the pits, like getting that snowmobile ready to get back out there. Because even if you lose 20 or 30 laps, like someone
0: else is going to have a problem later and you're hopefully going to be able to catch them. And that's actually the point that I wanted to make about Pichet is that. They were in the pits. They maybe went 10 laps down. No, it was more. Than more that. than that. Yeah. While they were replacing brake lines and fixing that thing to get it back out. And um, that was something that where the team aspect comes in. You can see that there were was, was people worried, but they weren't even close to giving up as a team. And remarkably, they got that thing back out. They got it racing. They had a fast sled that they said to begin with, and they were hoping to get a, a better place than that. But I was impressed with what they were able to do with what they had starting off with such adversity.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I liked is a post that they made uh, on their Facebook page about it didn't go the way they wanted it to at the beginning, and they weren't there at the beginning, but they were there at the end, and I think that was cool, because from a a viewer or a fan perspective, I didn't think of it that way when I've been to it in the past. Yeah. You just kind of watch, and you're like, oh, there's not as many out there anymore, but... The to really see what it takes to make it to the end, I mean, track snowmobiles or bl- engines are dying, tracks are giving out, all sorts of stuff, especially on a day like this, which turned into like pretty much they're riding on a dirt track by the end, which I guess if we want to jump into that part yeah. of it right now is, um, so what was happening is every 100 laps, they were kind of ma- maintaining the track to yeah. keep it in the best, uh, best condition possible. But as we started to get further into the race, I mean, there was, there was mud flying. Yeah, um, this turned into a, a, a dirt track essentially, just based on the conditions. I mean, if it would have been two degrees out that day it would have been a different situation
0: and I actually have the clip from when we got to talk to Aaron because that's his favorite time to race is when it gets dirty and you're running through the ruts and everybody's going because you can't race the same way that you can in those first hundred laps as the track deteriorates down to what it is because a lot of people think that they're racing on snow but they're actually racing on feet of ice and they can get down to sand and gravel and that kind of thing and this is what Aaron had to say there's way more battle happening in the corner than you get to see from up there. Yeah. Like how, how you guys oh. are just laying down into it. Oh, yeah, he's just, I mean, yeah. hang off the sled. I mean, it's tough. You can't do it, like, now, like, yeah. going yeah. into the corner. You stay on your
1: sled because right. otherwise you're, you're yes. going to be off. So how many years have you done this race? This should be my seventh. Okay. Oh, well, he's just like, well, first off, he was saying that this is, like, his favorite part of the race right now when it's getting all muddy, but it's just all about trying to keep your sled out on the track. It's like... They crashed on lap eight He said, "Or six from a brake problem. And then it's like, now they're back up to 20th right now. Right. So, I mean, they're still out there. They could end up top 10 yeah. by the end of the day.
0: That's what Aaron had to say about it. And to see how the track can go from the thick feet of ice, it's not just snow, down to that dirt. Um, it really changes how the race is handled and people are on their sleds, going 80, 90, 100 miles an hour and getting air on those things because the ruts get so big in that part of it. So as this race wears on, we decided to change things up a little bit. And we went up the hill and we decided to go and see what was going on with everybody that was watching it on the hill, and then going up into the camper area.
1: Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, if you've never been to it, you should definitely go check it out. I mean, if you're you don't even have to be into racing, you don't have to be you know essentially into anything except being able to be okay with hanging out in winter in Michigan outdoors. Uh, it is a tailgate scene. Pretty much like none other yeah um, you could compare it to things that say happen at like a NASCAR race or the Kentucky Derby yeah. or or things like that but it's unique that the choice of headgear is unique um, the the atmosphere the things you see people hanging out in yeah. and you mentioned people bring their couches like I I don't know if they brought them right from the living room or if they keep an annual i500 couch. I saw a guy sitting in a recliner, leaned back, blanket on, some food, a beer, hanging out like he was watching it in his living room, probably plenty warm and mm-hmm. having a great time. It's like, I wanted to just go sit in that chair for a little bit. And then people are making seats out of hay bales and digging seats or just bringing regular furniture. But then some people are just, just there. They might not even know that there's a race going on. They're yep. just having a good time with their friends. And-
0: value you can pay it's $25 for a pass and it's a nine hour race that's all day you can come and you can go and then you can see the end of the race having gone home eat dinner you can even put the kids to bed and then you can be back (laughs) for the end of the race
1: yeah I saw uh, a midday time when we had to go to the car to like get some batteries charged and switch out a few things I mean it was two three o'clock and There were people coming in for the first time right? uh, because you still, you could have a, you know, five, six hours still of of fun ahead of you and you hadn't even been into the race until, you know, it was at lap 300.
0: Right. So um, let's talk about what kind of happened in the race itself. Yeah. Race started off pretty fast, um, had a good track. It looked like the volunteers, the amount of hours that the volunteers and the people that run the track put in to make this thing run Um, there's nothing to compare it to because there's not a race that's that long where a track takes that much abuse in one day out of the year and what they're able to do with this moderate weather was pretty incredible because there's been years where they um, had to actually stop the race before lap 500 and these guys were running down to throwing sparks up when the sun started going down and it was really the last 90 laps where there was still a race going on with two on the lead lap and one trying to battle to jump on the lead lap as we walked back down into the pit area for the last part of the race.
1: Yeah, so you ended up having two snowmobile teams end on lap 500. Okay. Um, It was uh, Bunky Racing won won the I-500 this year. So we've talked for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes so far. Yeah. Uh, Bunky Racing won the race. It was actually, uh, Gabe Bunky is the eighth, eighth time he's won. Yep. Actually tied for the record for most wins. And he was... They kind of have like a New, Eng- New England Patriots thing going on. Yeah, it was actually the sixth time in nine years. So, you know, you call that a dynasty yeah. or whatever. But they were right there... Um, Battling with Faust Racing. Yep. So when you we talked about this a little bit, the same guy doesn't drive the entire time. So Bunky Racing had three drivers: um, Gabe, Taylor, Bunky, and Aaron Christensen, who actually was on the snowmobile at the end of the race. So it was very cool to see this end. There's two two teams left on the lead lap. It was close. Uh, they come across the finish line. There were fireworks. I think um, non non-sanctioned i five hundred fireworks, yep. but the ambiance was great. So yep. if someone just brought those on their own dollar, that was got it looked really cool for the photos. <laughs> uh, but the team was celebrating. There's fireworks going off. Um, it was very cool. But that was a a very cool part to see all of the teams that actually were still out at the end was yeah. impressive. But these two teams battling. Um, was very cool. I am, I'm not a huge. I don't have a ton of knowledge on snowmobiles. Sure. Right? I, I ride them for fun. I know. I know how to drive them. But one of the things that I found really interesting was the fact that all eleven, the top eleven teams, all were riding Polaris. Mm-hmm. If you would have had me guess that, I would have, I would have never guessed it the top 11 were all on players. Right. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was cool to see. And then there was like one Yamaha in its entirety in the right. entire race. So, you know, the, the world of snowmobiling is is something that I don't know a ton about, but I did find that interesting that that's how it went.
0: Well, we touched briefly on what the pits can do with what Pichet was able to do when their sled came in and needed repairs. But just the pits alone, the way that those guys can get gas. Um, They have one guy that just straight drops back with a giant lift and then they're pulling the skis off because just like tires in a NASCAR race, they have to change the skis out on those things and they can't go lap down in order to do it. So they'll run in on a yellow, they'll change a ski, they'll go out, they'll come back in, they'll change the other ski, they'll go out, they'll change a belt just to keep themselves going. So that you even have the ability to have two guys on the lead lap and that many people even close to being on the lead lap, that didn't used to happen back in 1982, right? Like, I'm just picking yeah. a random date. Right. Like They were, one guy was already 20 laps ahead of everybody else, and most people were sitting in the pits, or they were already in the crowd because they were done for the day.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, heard that the top two teams that finished, Bunky and Faust, are so good in the pits that teams sometimes try to replicate their pit stops because of how effective they are on staying on without going laps down or, or causing any major issues in the position on the track. Yeah. So I think one of the main things to point out is we are talking about this as like fans that got the next level of access. Yeah. There are probably some things that are not 100% accurate in what we're saying. It is being from what we noticed and things that we heard and things that we saw from talking to people. There's like, okay, that makes sense that you might say that the people that are got first and second are the best in the pits. That makes sense to me, yeah, right. especially with the finish of this race. Yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, just wanted to throw that out there as well. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point because there's a few things that I noticed in the pits that why wouldn't it be this way, but it was a surprise to me, is there were people in the pits that their job was to make sure that they had all the food ready for the people. Yeah a 9-hour race. They got to eat. The racers have to race. They're like if you're not on your sled, you got to sit down, you got to take a break. You, they're paying attention to the race. You have spotters going up and they're all taking shifts to make this thing happen. And then meanwhile, you've got somebody on the side of the of their trailer and they're grilling brats and they're serving chili <laughs> or super. I mean, I didn't get a good look at what it was, but <laughs> it looked like that
1: kind of food. We actually got a message on our video that we uh, put up from the event. It was said, "Thanks for making the video. It's very cool. Next time, you need to come down, have some soup." It was like, I I don't know where where our limit was to where we were able to go, but it, I feel like if I would have just walked up at that moment and been like, "What do you, you guys have some soup maybe for us? We're a little cold right now," it would have been weird. But we appreciate that. So next time, like if I see soup out, I'm I'm coming
0: for it. <laughs> uh speaking of the food too when we are when we were up on top of the hill when we were with the campers um some of those rigs that they had were pretty amazing there was one that i'm pretty sure was just the center of a tractor i i'm
1: still kind of blown away by this thing it was the two back wheels
0: yeah and then of like a mid-size lawn tractor like i mean not mid-size but like a a mid size hobby tractor. Yeah. And then the motor sat behind it with like a little, like zero turn wheel. Yeah. If you're going to watch the video, we're going to put it up. And people in audio, I'll never be able to do it justice about what this thing was. And, but the thing is, it was like seven feet wide, and two people rode on it. And they're just going right down the center of the thoroughway where everyone's going, and they're yeah. getting out of the way, and that little horn on it. Yeah. People riding on the sides of it. And, um, I think one of the things that makes it interesting is it is part of the audience in which you are there, especially like on the hill, but you're also in the campground area at the same time. Mm -hmm. What makes it so interesting is the entire area is pretty liberal with whatever you feel like bringing um, beverages, food, the way that you can put out whatever kind of seating arrangement (laughs) that you want. Right. If you kind of want to have like a Wild West adventure... Of what it's like to experience an outdoor activity like this, I'd say that it's up there with any. And as far as a spectator sport goes, it's pretty good because they had the announcers going the entire time, keeping you in line, knowing what's happening inside of some of the campers there. They had the live feeds up, uh, people had their apps going so that everybody knew what was happening in the race. And a lot of yellow flags, a lot of things that are happening throughout the day. And everyone's just kind of informed about what's happening, or they know somebody that's out there or something like that, and it's, so it, as much as it is the most professional thing, it's also just the most homegrown event that you can go to.
1: Oh, yeah, and that's what I think makes it so special as a spectator and i i if you guys know Nick and I, I'm more of the overall sports fan than than you are i mean you have your obviously like you played football and different things like that but like as a spectator like i watch and consume more sports than you i don't care if you're into sports or into racing like you you could have never watched a race of any kind in your life this is a fun event to go to it is unique it is super cool I personally love winter outdoor activity, like events in the winter. They're yeah. some of my favorite whether that's going to beer festivals or racing or just anything outside. Like a time we live in Michigan and you have to embrace the outdoors in the winter. Like you if you just sit inside all winter, that's you're not going to have a very good time. Right. So, this is one of those things you guys should check it out. I mean, you could you don't have to camp at the thing, right? right? You can stay at hotels or do whatever you need to do, but it is a, it should be a bucket list for Michiganders to yeah. check out. Yep. I, I have some friends that I've never brought mm-hmm. that are a couple of them. Uh, one of my friends, he grew up in Maryland. Like I want to bring him to this race, right? You know, yeah. like be like, check this out. Yep. <laughs> and have him go like, what? Yep. <laughs> like that would be the reaction. That'd
0: be what someone would say. Yeah. Um, so, overall, I think that you just summed it up. That was like, it's a it's a very unique experience. If you've gone, you know, and you probably have gone again. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't gone, I'd say plan for it for next year because there's a lot of things that are um, worth seeing at least for the first time or at least once, you know you're going to have a great time. Um, and that's kind of where I wanted to... Change courses now. And I wanted to talk about like, we have winter beer fest coming up, um, in lower Michigan and there's outdoor activities that are happening all over the winter all the time. Um, there's lots of different events and different things where you can be outside with like large groups of people and stuff like that. And a lot of times we talk about gear. Um, in this case, being that it was the warmest time of the year, Um, good gear was important, but what was even more important is that we were like completely waterproof in this case. Yeah. And, um, I, I like, we don't have any gear sponsors. Like, that's not why I'm talking about this stuff. But if you're going to be doing something like this, you have to be ready for those elements outside. Yeah. If you weren't prepared, if you go to an event like this in poor choice,
1: clothing or boots like that instantly could be a bad time Mm -hmm. wear the wrong shoes or boots get them wet i mean the day's over you're gonna have to go home uh but yeah and some of these people are experts yeah i mean they are prepped um they have everything they need Um, we did we knew what we were getting into so i would say especially like you said based on the mild temperature this year we were in a it was a pretty easy yeah. one. Uh, we did have that little bit of rain and then turned into some snow for a while. But overall, it was it was pretty decent. But yeah, that having the right stuff makes for everything to go better in Michigan in winter, right? Yeah. If you're, in the summer, it's easier. Sometimes it's like, oh, shorts and... Uh, you got to worry
0: about like, do you go tank top and sunscreen or do you try to cover <laughs> up and not get a sunburn? Yeah.
1: And this is like, how do you stay outside for long periods of time? Yeah. Staying warm and, and being comfortable and... I think that's a really important part of the day.
0: And I think at the I-500, you, see, you saw a little bit of everything. I saw a couple people and looked like what it seemed like a pair of Chuck Taylor's tennis shoes and a sweatshirt. And if they weren't going right for the beer tent, I don't know how they were going to make it through the day. Yeah. And then you saw all the way to um, the straight up full fur fox skin or um, coyote skin hats, that went halfway down their back. Um, you saw pretty much every version of what the outdoors could look like out there and every rig that people could possibly bring out there. And so I only, I bring this up because I just feel like when you're going to these kind of things, um, a bad day can happen really quickly for you just because you're not in the right kind of setup.
1: Oh, yeah. The very first time I went to a winter beer fest, I went in blind. Mm-hmm. I was... Prepared well with my jacket and my boots. I didn't know about the necklace situation. And I got in there, it was a last minute opportunity to go. I got in there and I was like, why don't I have beef jerky and everything else hanging on my neck? Yeah. You
0: learn. Right. So
1: that's you know kind of the same thing with this sort of event.
0: Yeah. So that's what I wanted to cover today. Um, I wanted to make sure that we got out with the full excitement that we got to experience this thing Uh, by going into the pits, seeing it all. And we made a a video that came out earlier this week or last week. And um, we're going to put the link in the bio of this. We're going to put it in the video. I'm going to put it in one of the cards so that you can see it. Um, And if you guys have any adventures or spots that we should check out, especially through the winter when outdoor activities are a little more sparse than they are in the summertime, we'd love to hear about them because we love going to these kind of things and experiencing new stuff. So for this time, I'm going to say cheers and uh, we'll see you next time.